Hallelujah. Amen. We welcome you this morning. All of you watching by live stream and the television broadcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. Praise God. We're at Heritage of Faith today. Amen. How many of you glad to be part of Heritage of Faith? Glory to God. Well, I just returned, Joe and I just returned from South Africa, where we had one of the most glorious meetings we have had there in a long, long time. I'm telling you, the people in our church there at Heritage of Faith, pastored by uh, John and Sharon Ben-Dixon, they had been praying for months in advance of those meetings, believing God for the glory of God to manifest. And he did not disappoint us. Amen. God answers prayer, and he particularly answers it for hungry people, praise God. I'm telling you, those people came in every service, ahead of the service, praying, believing God, and uh, man, we had a glorious, glorious meeting. Hallelujah. The song we just sang, Show Me Your Glory, uh, of course, has been a theme around here, but uh, John and Sharon Ben Dixon's son, Garth, wrote that song, and they introduced it to me uh, when I arrived, and I'm telling you, God did just that. He showed us his glory. One night, the spirit of joy hit the place. I'm telling you, it was one of the most glorious services I've been in in a long time. In fact, uh, when I went to bed the night before, after the service, I came back uh, to the house we were staying in. And I went to bed, and I was awakened about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I kept hearing this phrase, just running around in my spirit. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now it's three o'clock in the morning and the spirit of joy hit me. Now I'm in a house, you know, uh, and other people are in the house and the spirit of joy hit me and I couldn't stop laughing. And I try to hold it down so I wouldn't wake up people. You ever, you ever had the spirit of joy on you and laughter hit and you're trying to suppress it and it won't suppress and man, I laughed and laughed, and it just, just the spirit of joy was all over me. And then when we got up uh, the next morning, uh, I finally went back to bed. When I got up the next morning, uh, Brother John came over to, to have a, a cup of coffee with us, breakfast. And he said that after I left the service the night before, that uh, people didn't want to leave. And they just kept lingering there in the auditorium. And he said, all of a sudden, weeping broke out. And then all of a sudden, praise broke out. And then all of a sudden, joy broke out. And he said, the service went another 45 minutes after I'd already left the building. And he said, finally, I had to tell him, go home. And uh, I told him then, I said, I believe that is a prelude to what's happening tonight. And boy, that night, it hit. It hit Joe and I and Bryn. Uh, our driver over uh, at the house before we started driving to the meeting and the joy came in the car and we just couldn't contain it. And we got over to the service and I'm telling you, it just spilled over and, and it was so marvelous. There were healings taking place in it. There were deliverances taking place in it. And uh, these two young girls were sitting about, oh, four or five rows back and I noticed when I walked up to the platform, it hit them. 
and they laughed the entire service. I'm not, I'm not talking about a little while. They couldn't stop laughing. We got a couple of pictures of it. Show those pictures of these two girls. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> they laughed the entire service. And when I, when I walked out, they were still laughing. I don't know if they're, they may still be laughing after I got home. I don't know. But boy, I'm telling you, there's something special about being in the presence of God. Amen. Every night, no two nights were alike. Amen. No two services were alike. It was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I had told them last year, I only stayed about three or four nights last year. And the Lord said, tell them when you come back next year, which was this year, that you'll stay until the Lord says leave. And so I didn't really know how to plan for that. You know, you have to make reservations to fly all the way to South Africa and back. And so uh, we just made reservations. I actually wasn't supposed to get back until last night. And uh, so we made reservations just, you know, to have reservations. But if the Lord said stay, we were willing to cancel them and just keep going. And uh, so I'd already been there a week. And Sunday morning, when I got through ministering and got back to the house, I laid down to take a nap before preparing for the evening service. And when I woke up, the Lord said, you've completed your assignment. You can go home now. I said, hallelujah. (laughs) So I told Joe, I said, Joe, we can go now. And I told John, we can go now. And, And as it turned out, you know, what a coincidence. Only two seats were left on the airlines. Amen. And we got them, praise God. Amen. It's good to be in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Show me your glory. That should be our heart's cry. I notice you've written a song since I was gone that you sang this morning. Wonderful. Praise God. Praise team wrote that. Hallelujah. Amen. God is certainly interested in showing us his glory. He's not going to deny us if we stay hungry for it. Can you say amen? The Holy Spirit has told us that in 2018, it will be days of glory, days of flourishing, and days of abounding. But the question is, how much do you want it? How much do you want it? God's not going to force it on us. God's not going to make us experience it. Amen. The question once again is, how much do you want it? Now, go with me to the book of John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And you're all familiar with this story taking place in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus asked a man a question. We've talked about this in days past, but I'm led of the Spirit of God to share it with you again. John chapter 5 and verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Notice Jesus asked this man a question. Will you be made whole? Indicating or implying that wholeness was available. But notice Jesus didn't force it on him. He didn't just come by and say, uh, I'm the healer. I make people whole. Zowie, take it. He said, will you be made whole? In other words, he put the responsibility of it coming to pass on the man. Now, there's no question that Jesus was capable of making the man whole. I mean, we have evidence of that in other stories in the Bible. We know that he can heal. We know he can deliver. We know that nothing is impossible unto him. But notice, he didn't force it on him. And God is not going to force his glory on us. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to hunger for it. Can you say amen? Amen. Look at somebody say, I am hungry for the glory. So once again, Jesus asked the man the question, will you be made whole? So it sounds as if God needed the man to not only decide that he wanted to be made whole, but it's also indicating what are you willing to do to bring it to pass? Amen. Will you be made whole? Yes. All right. Now, what are you willing to do to make it happen? What are you willing to do to bring it to pass? A lot of people want God's best, but they're not willing to do what it requires. Did my mic go off? I got no response. We want God's best, do we not? But... There is certain things that you and I are required to do. It's not automatic. If it was, everybody be enjoying God's best. Amen. In fact, it wouldn't make any difference if you had any faith or not. It wouldn't make any difference if, if you were uh, committed to God or not. If, if, if it was just all automatic, then everybody would enjoy it. But it's not automatic. It is available, but it's not automatic. Can you say amen? So God is not going to force anything on us. That's why he's given us a free will. I have a choice. You have a choice. In fact, God didn't make you get saved. He didn't make me get saved. He gave us a choice. He said, if you believe and if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. But notice he didn't make you. Come on. Amen. Amen. If God was going to make people get saved, then the whole world would already be saved. Jesus would come before dark and we'd be out of here. Yeah. Amen. But he's not going to make anybody get saved. He's not going to make anybody get healed. He's not going to make anybody experience wholeness. And he's not going to make anybody hunger for his glory. That's something you and I have to do ourselves. Can you say amen? amen? Now, there are certain things that will take place 
that will inspire you. You know, uh, uh, in my early days of, of, of walking with the Lord, uh, I would see certain things take place in people's lives and it would inspire me to want to experience what they just experienced. But there again, it was still a choice. You know, sometimes people get inspired in a service. But inspiration can leave before you get to the car. Amen. Amen. Some people get so inspired while they're hearing the word of God preach, they just feel like biting the back out of that chair. Where's that devil? I'll take him. And before they get to the car, they lose their inspiration. One moment they were Superman and now they're Clark Kent. (laughs) So once again, God's not going to make us or force us to experience anything that he wants us to have. It's your choice. Hallelujah. So once again, it sounds like that God needed this man to make a decision. He needs you and I to make a decision. And then... He's also asking the man with this question, what are you willing to do to bring this to pass? So what he requires first is a decision. Say a decision. And then an act of faith that is followed by deep commitment to never give up until you have possessed it. Amen. So once again, first of all, Experiencing God's glory. Show me your glory, Lord. It requires a decision on our part. Secondly, an act of faith. And then finally, followed up by a deep commitment to never give up until it comes to pass. The fact is, you will never experience God's best until you're willing to make that deep commitment to have it. You know... um, while we were in the, that meeting in South Africa, I, I sensed in my spirit that God was going to just show out, so to speak, and that uh, it would require on my part not only staying before him and, and locking myself away, I hardly, came, I hardly came out of the room, did I, Joe? Uh, I hardly came out of the room just staying in the presence of God. So that when I got into those services, I'd be totally sensitive to his leadership. And uh, not only that, but I also felt in my heart, not for anybody else, but in my place, that I needed to fast that entire week in order to have God's best. Amen. I said, Lord, I commit to do that. And I made the decision to fast, and I made the decision and the commitment to fast. I'm telling you, God took all hunger away from me. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, only thing I'd have was a, a, a little cup of cappuccino that they would make for me in the morning, and half of an energy bar. And that's it. But boy, was it worth it. You know, fasting causes you to, uh, it causes your spirit man to ascend to a position of authority, taking authority over your flesh. Amen. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, 
that you're going to have to fast if you want to see his glory. But if God requires you to, submit to it. Amen? Amen. Maybe he will ask you to submit to fasting your television. (laughs) Amen? I mean, there's a price to pay, folks. There is a price to pay. Amen. I remember, of course, I've read it, I don't know how many times, I've watched it on film, and I've talked to him personally when he was still here with us, Oral Roberts, about what it took to operate in an anointing like he operated in. And there was a price to pay. Amen. A serious price to pay. And I remember asking the Lord years, I mean, when I first went into the ministry, I said, Lord, what would it require to have an anointing like that? And he said, you're not ready for that. I said, why not, Lord? He said, because what it would require, you're not willing to pay the price yet. He said, now, I'm not saying you won't ever be willing to pay the price, but right now you're not willing to pay that price. And he said, number one, you remember what the apostle Paul said after he gave his testimony of him uh, experiencing Christ on the road to Damascus? And later he gave his testimony, he said that the Lord told him he had to be delivered of the people. And he said, uh, And the Lord said to me, you haven't been delivered of people yet. He said, you want everybody to like you. I said, well, what's wrong with that, Lord? He said, they didn't all like me. What makes you better than me? (laughs) Amen. I I wanted people to speak well of me. I didn't want people accusing me of being a fraud or accusing me of, of, uh, uh, you know, doing things underhanded or whatever, you know. But Jesus healed people, delivered people, opened blind eyes, caused cripples to walk, and the religious people said, you can do that because you too have a devil. Come on. Now that, that kind of make you want to go home and go do something else for a living. <laughs> Amen. So, It took me a while to get delivered of the people. (laughs) I don't care what they say. Amen. Amen. I know my heart. You may not know my heart, but I know my heart. And and, uh, that's, that's the most important thing. And I know God knows my heart. Amen. So there is a price to pay. And, and Oral Roberts was willing to pay that price and almost cost him everything. Almost cost him his family. Almost cost him everything. But he was willing to pay that price. Amen. So for us to just think that we're just going to go about our business, keep doing what we've always done, and never take it to another level in prayer, Never take it to another level in praise. Never take it to another level in commitment. Never take it to another level in fasting. Or take it to another level in, in uh, walking in love. Then it's foolish for us to think that he's just going to show us his glory anyway. Amen. 
There is a price to pay. The title of my sermon is, Do You Want to See God's Glory? Then Do These Things. <laughs> Amen. So we'll get to the, what you need to do. And uh, uh, contrary to a lot of teaching that's going on right now regarding grace, thank God for grace. Hey, I'd be the first one to say thank God for grace. But that doesn't give us a free ride. Amen. That doesn't mean that we're not required to be doers of the word. That doesn't mean that we're not required to be faithful. That doesn't mean that we're not required to be committed. Grace got us in. Grace gives me the ability to stand before God as though sin has never occurred in my life. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God for grace. By grace, ye are saved. But don't get the mistaken idea and don't let some fancy preacher pull the wool over your eyes that we live under grace now and we don't have to be doers of the word and we don't have to be faithful anymore and we don't. Amen. Yo mama, we do too. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Did I say that? Did I say that right, Vic? <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I won't be honorary too. <laughs> That's private. <laughs> That's private. <laughs> committed people will do whatever it takes. Look at your neighbor and say, committed people will do whatever it takes. So stop making excuses and just go for it. Amen. Now notice... In this story here, when Jesus asked this man, will you be made whole? The impotent man, verse seven, answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Now, this is an excuse as to why it never happens to him. If, if God's never moving in your life and God's never doing extraordinary things in your life, more than likely you're going to have an excuse as to why. And it won't be your fault. It'll be his fault. Or somebody else's fault. See, we got that from Adam. That woman you gave me. I was doing fine till you made her. And that didn't impress God back then. And it still doesn't impress God. Amen. So, yeah, but you don't understand the hours that I work. We all work. You don't understand the hours I put in. <laughs> but I find time to be with God. Yeah, but that's your job, brother. Hey, I know a lot of preachers don't spend time with God. And it shows in their messages. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. You just don't understand. Well, I'm trying to, but uh, the Bible points out here in this story in particular that excuses won't work. So this man said, Lord, every time that angel comes and troubles the water, when I try to step in, somebody always gets in ahead of me. 
Notice Jesus didn't say, you poor thing. I'm going to call fire down on this whole group. Burn them all up so you'll be the only one trying to get in the water. He didn't do that. Now, notice this story is really not a story of a man's faith that made him whole. It is a story of Jesus' compassion. Amen. Now, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. So there may be times in your life where the compassion of God smoothed it over. (laughs) But you're not going to experience that every time because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Now, God has done some things in our lives where maybe he just overlooked (laughs) and said... Hopefully one day they'll get it. I'm just going to go on and do it now. But that's not the way he expects us to live. Amen. You know, your mama may have covered for you a couple of times, but then eventually she's not going to cover for you anymore. She's expecting you to do it on your own. Amen. Do what's right, boy. I taught you better than that. So this is a story of Jesus' compassion on a man. But it's also an important story about how vital it is for you and I to make a decision to have what God is wanting us to have. God's best. So notice once again, he says, but while I'm coming in, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So once again, this man's faith was not particularly involved here. It was the compassion of the Lord. And, And in fact, Jesus somewhat just ignored his statement that somebody always steps in ahead of me. Sometimes it's a blessing for God to ignore you. (laughs) Sometimes you're in the way of your own miracle. (laughs) Hallelujah. So the question was, will you be made whole? So it requires a decision. Wholeness was available. Jesus wanted to give it to him. But the question is, do you really want it? Now go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. How many of you really want to see his glory? Beginning in verse 35, another familiar story. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man by the wayside begging and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passes by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him. Notice, Jesus is asking uh, another man a question. 
What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. Now here is a different situation. This man's faith was involved. In that other case, the man's faith wasn't involved. It was an act of compassion on Jesus' part. But here Jesus very clearly said, your faith has made this happen. Amen. It was a, um, uh, an unwavering faith, a faith that would not be denied when they cried, uh, uh, when he cried out, have mercy on me. And they told him to shut up. He cried the louder. In other words, he was not going to allow Jesus to leave his presence without him receiving his healing, his miracle. Amen. Amen. He was determined. Just like that little woman that went to that unjust judge and he slammed the door in her face and said, leave me alone. But she wouldn't do it. She kept coming back until she got what she wanted. Praise God. Amen. An unwavering faith, a deeply committed faith, a faith that will not be denied. Hallelujah. And so notice he said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? Well, in our response to that question, And I believe he's asking the same question today. Our response to that is, show me your glory. Amen. That'll cover anything you need. That'll cover anything you desire. It'll cover any problem. It'll cover any impossibility. It'll cover everything that you're confronted with right now. If God would show you his glory, his manifested presence, power, and goodness, it will answer every problem. Hallelujah. If you believe it, give the Lord a good shout. Hallelujah. So in response to the question, what do you want me to do? Now the Lord told me to tell people everywhere I preach this year to keep on their lips and keep in their prayers. These words, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Get up every day saying, show me your glory. Go to bed every night saying, show me your glory. Throughout the day, show me your glory. I get up saying it. I go to bed saying it. And I say it several times a day. Every time it comes to my mind, I say it out loud. Praise God. Show me your glory. Come on, say it with me. Show me your glory. Hallelujah. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. God wants to show us his glory. Moses asked him to show him his glory. And God responded by saying, I'm going to show you all my goodness. And if you keep studying that, Exodus 33 and 34, it also implied that to see the glory was to see his manifested presence and his manifested power. Notice when Moses said, show me your glory. He was not denied. And you won't be denied either. Praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. So keep on your lips and keep in your prayers every day. Show me your glory. This is what we want God to do. Once again, how desperate are you for it? Now, Carolyn said something to me not too long ago. She said, Uh, You know, when you preach about the prophetic word and and, uh, we get all stirred up about it and we we say it every day. She said, I've noticed over a period of time, I forget to do it. 
I forget to declare it. I forget to talk about it. Well, that's very common with people. We get inspired, as I said. And then if we don't see results immediately, you know, uh, we're, we're less enthusiastic about it. But you got to keep it up. Let them say continually. The Bible says in Psalm 27, let them say continually. This is not something we're going to try for a few moments, try for a few days, try for a few months. And if we don't see any results, then, you know, it didn't work for me. Now you've gone back to making excuses. It will work for you. Amen. If you do what is required. Hallelujah. Folks, we have to get out of this mentality that it's just going to be handed to us. You know, they say the generation after my generation is a, you know, a generation that just expects it to be handed to them. My daddy taught me to work. That nothing came without working for it. Only two scriptures he ever shared with me in my life. And he said they were in the Bible and I believed him. He said, a boy that don't work, don't eat. I got hungry and I wanted to eat, so I went to work. And then when I got married, he said, a man that don't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. I didn't know what an infidel was, but I I didn't think I wanted to be one. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So... When I say work, I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about do, being a doer of the word. I'm not doing the word to try to get God's approval of me. I'm doing the word because Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Amen. Don't go around calling me Lord if you don't ever do anything I say. That's like I've had many ministers over the years. Brother Jerry, uh, uh, I consider you to be my spiritual father. Would you talk into my life? Would you speak into my life? And then when I see them in error and I speak into their life, they don't love me no more. (laughs) I I thought you want me to speak into your life. Yeah, but only good stuff. That's not covenant. Covenant deals with the bad as well as the good. God will praise you for doing right, but he'll get on to you for doing wrong. That's still covenant. Amen. So once again, what is our desire this year and for hereafter? We want God to show us his glory. So once again, how desperate are you for it? How determined are you to have it? Amen. Kenneth Hagin once said, the enemy is not going to let you possess anything that God wants you to have without a fight. Amen. I'll say it again. Brother Hagin said, the enemy is not going to let you possess anything that God wants you to have without a fight. The Bible declares in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, the just shall live by faith. Say that with me. The just shall 
shall live by faith. Now listen to what 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12 says. Fight the good fight of faith. So it sounds like to me that if you're going to live by faith, get ready for a fight of faith. Amen. To live by faith. You got to be willing to fight. Not people. They're not your enemy. You have an adversary who's out to stop you from receiving what God wants you to have. He doesn't want you to have God's best. He wants you to live beneath your privileges as a child of God. He wants you to suffer for the rest of your life. He wants you to just barely get by. He wants you to just exist. And he hopefully, on his part, he's hoping that you will finally get so discouraged that you turn your back on God. But don't let that happen. Fight the good fight of faith. Look at your neighbor and say, man up. (laughs) Fight the good fight of faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a wimp. (laughs) Glory to God. If you're not willing to fight for what God says belongs to you, then it's not likely that it'll ever come to pass in your life. Amen. I mean, everything Carol and I have, everything this ministry has, we've had to fight for it. We had to fight for it. If there was any other way, folks, I'd be preaching it. I don't know any other way. I've lived this way now. Uh, last Sunday was my uh, spiritual birthday. or No, what was it, last Sunday? Anyway, February the 11th. 49 years I've been walking with the Lord. Hallelujah. 49 years. And in 49 years, if there was any other way to have God's best, don't you think I would have figured it out by now? <laughs> Amen. 49 years is a long time. But I can't find any other way. And since this way has been working well for me, I believe I'll just stick with it, praise God, and fight the good fight of faith. Hallelujah. I've learned to say, and Carolyn's heard me say this many, many times, that every time we get ready to uh, get into another faith endeavor, faith project, believe in God for whatever it is, then the next thing she hears me say out of my mouth, let us go to the other side. We're going to go to the other side and we're not going to die out in the middle of the sea. We're not going to give up out in the middle of the sea. We're going to reach the other side. Praise God. Hallelujah. Buddy Harrison, my dear friend, Buddy Harrison, he's gone on to be with the Lord. He used to say, get under the spout where the glory comes out. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So you fight the good fight of faith. Glory to God. The Holy Spirit has told us that 2018 would be days of glory, days of flourishing, days of abounding. But as you've heard me say in times past and even this morning, it's not automatic. There's a part that you and I must play, and that is your willingness to fight the good fight of faith, which simply means never give up. Never give up. Brother Jerry, you don't know how hard it is. Yes, I do. I might know it even better than some of you. I'm not saying it's easy. Staying in faith, 
Daring to believe God when every circumstance around you is saying it'll never come to pass. And most of the people are telling you you're a fool for keeping on believing this. It's not easy. It is hard. But eventually, if you're determined and committed, you've decided that it's just a way of life. Amen. If there was any other way to survive without breathing, well, I'm not going to breathe anymore. I don't like to breathe. It's too hard. Well, just quit. We'll bury you in the morning. The just shall live by faith. That's not an option. That's not a suggestion. The just shall live by faith. Well, why does God make it so hard on me? He's not making it hard on you. He's making it hard on the devil. Because if you live by faith, God will respond to your faith. Hallelujah. Amen. And the devil can't do anything about it. Praise God. He'll just have to sit by and watch God do what men say is impossible. Praise God. Can you say amen? amen. If, if, if I wasn't willing to fight the good fight of faith, I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit this morning. I might have been an invalid. I might have not been able to, to walk or to talk or to preach ever again with what I experienced here just over a year ago. According to the doctors, wouldn't be doing what I'm doing this morning. Do I look like a man who had a stroke? I have absolutely no evidence that I ever had a stroke, praise God. Not only that, but, but all the devil did was help me go to a higher level. Amen. I'm 71 years old and I'm traveling more, doing more, praise God, excited more, more passionate. I feel like I've started all over, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. But I had to fight for it. I had to fight for it. I, I, I couldn't just lay around and accept what they were saying. They told Carolyn that he may not likely ever be normal again, never preach again, all that kind of Thank God for a woman of faith. She would not accept that. Hallelujah. Amen. So it's a fight. You have to fight for what God says is yours. Amen. Never give up. The fight of faith requires both speaking the word and holding fast to the word. Speaking the word and holding fast to the word. Jesus said in the 11th chapter of Mark, verse 23, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believeth that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. I'm just, I'm just thinking right now. Do you understand the severity of what I went through? Yes. 
total memory loss. Total memory loss. I didn't know my wife's name, my children's name, and I couldn't think of one scripture that I had preached all these years. Now it just flows out of me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Like it always did. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. But I had to fight for that. Had to fight for it. Thank God. And when you got people that set themselves in agreement with you, man, thank God for that. Hallelujah. The power of agreement. Hallelujah. But once again, I wouldn't be experiencing God's best right now if I hadn't been willing to fight the good fight of faith. Hallelujah. So one of the things that it requires is speaking the word. First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, As it is written, therefore have I believed and therefore have I spoken. In other words, whatever you believe, you're going to talk. If you really believe God's going to show you his glory, then you're talking it. If you really believe God's going to heal you, then you're talking it. If you really believe God's going to uh, uh, give you that financial breakthrough, then you're talking it. Amen. That's one of the ways you fight the good fight of faith. You, uh, silence is not golden where faith is concerned. Amen. You have to speak the word of God. And do it on a continual basis and refuse to give up until it comes to pass. That's holding fast to the word. And this is where the fight really comes in. It, it's, it's easy to speak the word, but holding fast to it. Not being moved by the circumstances. Amen. And just daring to hold fast to what God has said. I'm not going to go into all the testimony, but I've shared a part of it with you in length in days past. But when the Lord said to me uh, in 1969, when I surrendered my life to preach, and he said, you will not be able to accomplish what I've called you to do without airplanes in your ministry. And then he said, and I want you to start believing now for debt-free airplanes before you ever need them. So that when you need them, they'll be there. And so uh, we started believing God. And confirmation would come from time to time when that prophet laid hands on me and said, airplanes, airplanes, airplanes. Remember, fly, fly, fly. And, and what God was saying was, I'd spend the rest of my life in airplanes flying all over the world. And in the natural, it was impossible for me to, to own an airplane in this ministry. But in just a matter of a couple of years after I left Brother Copeland's ministry and launched out into this ministry, I owned my first airplane, debt-free. That was nine debt-free airplanes ago. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and every one of them, we had to fight the good fight of faith. When I'd outgrow one, I'd sow it into another ministry. And, and it wasn't like I didn't need it right then. I'm still traveling just like I always did. I had to start going commercial airlines to get to where I needed to be. And, and sometimes they didn't go 
to all the places I needed to go, rent a car when I got close to it and drive the rest of the way. And, and all the time, believing that the seed that I just sowed, because every seed produces after its own kind, believing that that seed would produce a harvest in the form of my next airplane. And sometimes, you know, the circumstances would indicate this is never going to happen. You never should have given the other one away, dodo. <laughs> you had one. But no. <laughs> you gave it away. And sometimes it looked like it would never come to pass. But God never let me down. And it came to pass. And then he started talking to me about jets. I'd gone through single engine, twin engine, you know, pressurized cabin. And now he's talking jets. Oh, wow. And he showed me the one he wanted me to have in 1973 in Wichita, Kansas, in the Cessna plant. And a gentleman came to my meeting who was an a executive there. And he said, uh, I'd like to give you a tour of the Cessna Corporation. You're here in Wichita. That's our headquarters. And he took me into each division. And then he said, did you know Cessna now builds a business jet? I said, yes, sir. I've been reading about it. He said, would you like to see number one and number two? I said, I would. He took me in there and showed me the first two jets that Cessna built. Usually they use them uh, to go to shows to uh, uh, promote them, market them take orders for them, and then afterwards, uh, after a period of time, they dismantle them and destroy them, number one especially. And uh, so he showed me number one, and he had me to sit in it. And he asked me this question. He was a believer. He said, can you see yourself flying in this, going to your meetings? I said, yes, sir, I can. No, I didn't have money for a jet back then. Dear Lord. But boy, I could see myself in it. I sat in the pilot seat. I sat in the co-pilot seat. I went in the back and sat. I pulled the tray down and I had my Bible and notebook with me and I laid it up there and I, I could see myself studying the word and praying on my way to the next meeting. And we got out of that airplane. We started to walk away and the Lord said, that's the airplane I want you to have. Call it into your ministry. The Bible says he calleth things that be not as though they were. And, and he didn't ask me to do it silently. He didn't say, call it into your ministry. Don't let anybody hear you. You don't want people thinking you're strange. No. All of a sudden he said, do you remember Willie Taylor? I said, Willie Taylor? What has this got to do with the airplane? He said, do you remember Willie's mother? Well, he was my best friend when I was a little boy. We lived on the same street, played together all the time. I said, yes, I remember Willie's mother. He said, do you remember how she called Willie home? I said, oh my, I'll never forget Miss Taylor. That woman was four foot eight, but she had lungs 20 feet long, I think. I dare. <clears throat> she could holler louder than anybody I'd ever heard. 
And when it was time for <clears throat> Willie to come home, no matter where we were, now we lived out in the country and we were in the woods all the time and, and, and uh, you know, playing in trees and playing in the pond, fishing, swimming, and, and it was quite a ways from the house. But when it was time for Willie to come home, she'd stand on the back porch, cup her hands like this, and here's how it sounded, but a whole lot louder. Well, And that Lee went through the trees, it went through the swamps, it went through the pond. When Willie heard that, the rule was at his house, if he didn't, if she didn't see him running toward the house before she got through with the Lee. Now in the South, you didn't get whippings, you got whoopings. Willie got a whooping. And I said, Lord, what has that got to do with anything? He said, you call that airplane into your ministry right now, just like Willie, uh, Willie's mother called him. Yeah. <laughs> I said, right here in front of all these people? Now, this is spirit to spirit. I'm not talking out loud. This man is next to me. <laughs> he said, just like Willie's mama did. He said, you point your finger at that airplane and you determine right now from this day forth, that airplane's name is Willie and you call it home. So I said, sir, would you hold my Bible? He's an executive. With Cessna. I put my hands up like this and I said, citation, you now belong to Jerry Savelle Ministries. From this day forward, your name is Willie and I call you home. Willie! Come on home. Took my Bible, turned around and walked off. <laughs> he didn't say a word to me. He didn't, he didn't say a word till we got in his car and he started to turn on the ignition. He said, do you mind telling me what that was all about? <laughs> I told him the story. He said, okay, praise God. Willie, come on home. <laughs> I stood for that airplane in faith for 20 years. Oh, wow. 20 years. And eventually, and here's the thing. You don't realize the seriousness of this miracle. Cessna usually dismantles number one. And it doesn't exist anymore. I've got, I've got a book they sent me of the, of the uh, development of that jet and how it was named. Before they built it, they had a board meeting and they were trying to come up with a name. And some, one, one of the board members said at that time in 1972, somewhere along in there, there was a famous horse named Citation ran in the Kentucky Derby and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I want to, I want to name it Citation. They said, no, we don't want to name that. We don't want to name it that. That's a horse. He said, well, it's an iron horse. You know, but he kept on pushing it. They wouldn't accept it. So the day that they came together again to name the airplane, he went to the boardroom ahead of them. This is all in a book they sent me. He went to the boardroom ahead of them and he brought 
a horseshoe and placed it in front of every seat. And on front of it, it said, citation, citation, citation. And finally, they agreed to name it Citation. Cessna Citation. And then after they took orders for it and showed it, then normally they would bring it back to Wichita, dismantle it, and it wouldn't exist. Only on pictures of it and historical accounts of it. But for some reason, they decided to preserve number one. Hallelujah. Is this not a miracle? And eventually, now I think this is not a coincidence either. The state of Mississippi bought it. I'm born in Mississippi. The governor flew it. Uh, The state representatives flew it. Uh, It belonged to the state of Mississippi. And then eventually they sold it. And some businessman bought it. And uh, he owned it for a while and he was going to refurbish it and update it, upgrade it and all. And he ran out of money and wound up having to sell it. And somehow Brother Copeland found out about it. And Brother Copeland was believing for something else. But this came up and it was such a good deal that he decided to buy it. And so it's sitting over in the hangar there. And uh, they started doing some of the completed work on it that this guy didn't finish. They didn't get, get it quite finished. And just before his minister's conference one year, the night before, I told Carolyn, I said, I'm going to be up most of the night praying about what the Lord wants me to share in this conference. So uh, you, you go on to bed and I don't know when I'll be there, but I don't want to wake you up, so I'll sleep in another room. Well, she decided to sleep in another room. And when I finally came to bed, I don't know how long I was asleep, but I was awakened in a dream, with a dream. And I saw myself walking up to Brother Copeland and saying, yes, sir, that is my airplane, and I'm going to buy it from you. And we were sitting in the airplane in his hangar. And I got up the next morning. I said, Carolyn, have you ever had a dream that was so real? You just knew it was God. She said, yes. I had a dream last night. I saw you shaking hands with Kenneth Copeland and telling him that was your airplane you were going to buy. We both had the same dream. Amen. I had the same dream in separate bedrooms. And so we went to that meeting the next day. And we're sitting at... uh, in the speaker's room. And Brother Copeland said, uh, I, I need to see you and Gloria. I didn't say a word to him. He said, I need to see you and Carolyn, rather. Uh, meet me and Gloria down at the hangar after the service. Not take it back. Let me back up. He said, I need to talk to you. Come to my office. And so we went into his office and he started talking about this airplane. I said, Brother Copeland, hold on. Don't say another word. I want Carolyn to hear this. He said, hey, yeah, yeah, uh, that'll be best. After the meeting, why don't you and Carolyn meet us down at the hangar and Gloria and I will be down at the hangar. So we, after the service, went down to the hangar. They're sitting in the airplane. And he said, Jerry, I keep thinking, it keeps coming up in my spirit, this airplane belongs to you. I said, yes, sir, it does. 
And then I began to tell him the dream. And just like the dream, I reached over and said, Brother Copeland, this is my airplane. And I'm going to buy it from you. And I said, I've got X amount of dollars now that I'm going to give you. And I don't want to take the airplane until I have the balance to pay it in full. He told me what he wanted for it. He said, okay, consider it yours. We shook hands on it. And then he said, now, Jerry, let me tell you something about this airplane. Being the classic guy that you are, you like classic cars, classic motorcycles. He said, this is number one. I said, what? He said, this is citation number one, the first one ever built. I said, Brother Copeland, do you remember my story about Willie? He said, my God, my God, Willie's come home. Willie's come home. Willie's come home. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. 20 years I waited on that airplane. Hallelujah. And I'd I'd give him money and he kept saying, take the airplane. It's your, no, I'm not going to start flying it until I have it paid for. And I just about got it paid for not quite. And we're in Anaheim and he's preaching. He just stopped right in the middle of the service and said, Jerry, that airplane's yours. And then he just kept preaching. I said, I know it is. And then he just kept preaching. He said, Jerry, that airplane is yours. And I said, I know it is. And he just kept preaching. And he said, son, I'm telling you, it's yours. And finally it hit me. He said, I'm giving it to you. You don't owe me anymore. I was doing backflips across the audience. (laughs) Just about backflips, not quite backflips. I used to do backflips, but it it was a good try. Hallelujah. He he forgave the balance, praise God. I flew that airplane for 12 years. And then I sold it. No, I sold it. The Lord said, here's the first one I I hadn't given. The Lord said, I want you to see my presence in another way this time. Now, the market for airplanes was way down. I mean, it was a buyer's market. You wouldn't get anywhere close to what they were worth a couple of years before. And he said, I want to show you my presence in this. Put it on the market. Put it for what it was worth when you got it 12 years ago. I did, God did, it sold, and praise God, another miracle. And that was three citations ago. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is faithful. God is faithful. Amen. So when you say, it's so hard, I know it. It's not easy. I know it. How many times do you think I had to go look in the mirror and say, Jerry Spell, you're not going to quit. You hear me, boy, you're not going to quit. You stay in faith. The devil don't let up on me no more than he does you. But I've just learned, praise God, that if you stay faithful, stay consistent, eventually it will come to pass. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Praise God. Amen. Amen. 
Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Everybody say without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. That's what you have to keep in the forefront of your thinking. He is faithful. God doesn't make promises that he doesn't intend to fulfill. He's not going to allow his promises to fail. But you also have to remember that the key here in this verse, without wavering. Without wavering. Say without wavering. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you can do this. Now understand this, it's not done in your own might, nor in your own strength, but in God's. That's the reason the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Well, the Bible teaches us that God and His Word are one and the same. So to be strong in the Lord is be strong in the Word. Be full of the Word, hallelujah. Amplified Bible says, be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him. And one of the major ways that you do this is by staying close to Him. Isaiah chapter 40 uh, says in verse 31, uh, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Amen. So stay close to God. You'll renew your strength. Also stay full of His Word. Uh, Acts chapter 20 verse 32, I commend you to the Word which is able to build you up. Hallelujah. So stay close to the word and then pray much in the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians 14, four, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. And the word edify there means to make strong, to build up. What's praying in tongues is like uh, working out with, with spiritual barbells. It builds you up. Hallelujah. The more you pray in the spirit, the stronger you get. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. James chapter 4 verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the stronger you become, then the greater resistance you'll be able to apply to your adversary. The Bible says in the Amplified Version, stand firm against him and he will flee from you. So standing firm... And without wavering is basically the same thing. Without wavering, stand firm. That has the same meaning, praise God. And once again, that's the only way I know how to experience God's best. I've been doing this for 49 years. It's working, so I think I'll just stick with it, praise God. Look at your neighbor and say, fight the good fight of faith. Now, I want to leave this with you. Four, th- four things I have learned about fighting the good fight of faith. Number one, you must see through the eye of faith what God says is yours before it ever becomes reality. You must be able to see through the eye of faith what God says is yours before it ever becomes reality. Amen. We look not at things which are seen, Paul says, but at the things which are not seen. How can you see something that's not seen through the eye of faith? (coughs) So we're asking God to show us his glory. So begin to see manifested presence of God, manifested goodness of God, 
manifested power of God taking place in your life. How can I see that, Brother Jerry? Well, it helps to go read the Bible. Amen. Go read the Bible about manifestations of His glory, His presence, His power, His goodness. And that's faith building. And it helps you to create a vision for it. You can see it through the eye of faith. Then number two, as we've already mentioned, you must speak it. There is no such thing of faith without speaking. Amen. Jesus said, have the God kind of faith. And then he started talking about whosoever shall say. So faith is released predominantly through the words of our mouth. So if you're asking God to see his glory, then see it through the eye of faith. See it taking place in your life. Number two, talk it. Speak it continually. Number three, you must in your heart take possession of it before it ever becomes reality. That in other words, receive it. See it, say it, receive it. Those are basic elements of the life of faith. See it, say it, receive it. Amen. Receive it in your heart before it ever comes to pass. Hallelujah. Just like I said, I could see myself flying in that jet before I ever took ownership of it in the natural. Amen. And then number four, you must be willing to pursue it with the attitude that you will never give up. Be willing to pursue it with the attitude that you will never give up. This is what the message translation (coughs) refers to as sticking with it until you have the promised completion in Hebrews 10, 35. Now close it with this. Joshua chapter 14, verses 7 through 12. And this is the story of Caleb. You all know it, but it's worthy of repeating. It says from the Amplified Bible, this is Caleb speaking. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout out the land. And I brought him a report as it was in my heart. But my brethren who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt. What does that mean? They gave a negative report. Now, Christians don't mean, you know, to be instruments of the devil, but sometimes they can be. They can cause your heart to melt. In other words, melt means to become disheartened, discouraged, and to question the validity of what God said. And and their report, contrary to uh, Caleb's report, made their hearts melt. In other words, they became discouraged. Uh, It didn't look like what God had said was true. And then he said, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And I added in my notes, without wavering. And Moses swore on that day, surely the land on which your feet have, have walked shall be an inheritance to you and your children. Always, because you have wholly followed the Lord your God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years 
since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. Now I'm thinking after reading Jake, uh, uh, Caleb's story, what's 20 years? <laughs> Come on. Yes, sir. I stood for 20 That's years right. for something. Amen. He stood for 45. Yes, sir. Now, how many Christians you know are willing to stand for 25, 45 years? He said, the Lord kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years since the Lord spoke uh, this word to Moses while the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. And behold, I am this day 85 years old, yet I am as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. (coughs) And my strength is now for war. My strength is now for war. He's already stood for 45 years. Now he says, I'm ready to go to war. (laughs) Hallelujah. And to go out and to come. So now give me this mountain of which the Lord spake that day. Hallelujah. So notice 40 years. I said 45, 40 years. He was willing to hold fast to what God had promised. How long are you willing to hold fast to it? How desperate are you? Wilt thou see the glory? Wilt thou see the glory? I suppose the bottom line to this is, how important is it to you to have God's best? Do you truly want your 2018 to be days of glory, days of flourishing, days of abounding? Then don't allow anyone nor anything to cause your heart to melt. Determined to be like Caleb, in which the Bible declared in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, he had another spirit. In other words, a different spirit than what other people had. What spirit was that? The spirit of faith and the spirit of perseverance. Hallelujah. And he got God's best. You want God's best? If you want God's best, do these things. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm going for God's best. I'll not be satisfied until I have God's best. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet, if you will. Praise God. And if you receive this today, I want you to give the Lord a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, that's not a good shout of praise. Give him a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. As I was reading those closing verses about Caleb, I was impressed with the Lord to pray over you today that you too would possess a different spirit. Hallelujah. Not like the world, not like some Christians, but the spirit of faith and the spirit of perseverance, faith and patience, the power twins. Hallelujah. Amen. So lift up your hands right now and and prepare to receive this. Now, 
It's not just my prayer that will make it happen. But it's what you do with the Word of God. You add to what I'm about to pray over you. And, and you, you get serious, more serious than you've ever been in your life about imparting, intaking the Word of God into your life. Hallelujah. Father, in obedience to your command, I lift my hands over this audience and I pray that each and every one of them will have the spirit of Caleb, that different spirit, another spirit than what other people or maybe even what other Christians would have. The spirit of faith, the spirit of perseverance in the name of Jesus. Lord, as they continue with you, as they continue in your word, make them strong in you. An unwavering faith. A faith that will not be denied in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're asking you today, show us your glory. And as we stay in faith, as we expect you to honor our request, then we rejoice as we leave here knowing that our God has heard us. His ears are over the righteous. His ears are open under their under their prayers and in the name of Jesus we decree that this is our year to see the glory of God his presence his power and his goodness as never before in the name of Jesus and we will not be denied we will not give up hallelujah we will not be satisfied for anything less than God's best come on give the Lord a good shout for it hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Lord, I pray that they will experience this coming week manifestations of your presence, manifestations of your power, and manifestations of your goodness. Hallelujah. Surely goodness shall follow them all the days of their life. Hallelujah. 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 Expect the goodness. Expect the power. Expect His presence. Come on, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice.